0: Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. What's the first thing you think of when you think human resources? Protecting the company, Protecting the company. internal affairs. Internal affairs. What else? Hiring and firing. Hiring and firing, right. What else? Workman's comp, yeah. So HR covers so many things. I mean, you think about it, recruiting, hiring, uh, evaluations, Training, like if you had to do a compliance thing, it goes through HR. I had to go through a customer service training, all of us did. It was six hours, and it was over three weeks, two hours every Wednesday for the past three weeks. I did graduate, yes, I got my pen. So (laughs) that's another thing to put on my resume. But six hours of training, and it was uh, arranged from human resources, and the reason why is because they wanted us to be able to uh, make sure that all of us were doing positive customer service type things. So trainings. Then you have uh, write-ups. Stuff. I mean, like I've never been written up here. Thank God. I try to stay like out of trouble. Do everything I can to stay out of trouble. Um, I was written up at Walmart, and what I got written up for at Walmart was managers have to go around and sign um, deli and dairy and frozen goods logs to make sure they're inside temperature. You know? Do you know about this, Sean? So like. I had to go through every morning and every night and sign off on the logs to make sure that the associates had temp checked the different you know products. And I missed one signature on one sheet and I got written up for that. And so I'll take that on the chin, you know. But, you know, it's not fun getting written up, but there are, there are learning opportunities there. And so like ever since that incident, I said, you know, number one, I don't like Walmart. And I didn't like Walmart before. But nobody's looking out for you. You've got to look out for yourself and your career. You've got to CYA, cover yourself, make sure that you're doing everything you can to stay within the, ba- the, the boundaries. And the best advice I can give you on that is to be 100% have unimpeachable integrity. Don't lie, don't cover up facts. If something happens, you need to be 100% transparent about it. People get in a lot of trouble, worse trouble trying to cover up things than if they just come out and say, "Look, I made a mistake. This happened," boom. And you know, most people will forgive you for a mistake that happened. But if you lie about it, that's a whole nother ballgame. That's an integrity issue, and it can get you in a really bad spot um, because you know there's this temptation to to think, "Well, if I lie about it and it gets covered up and under the rug, people forget about it, no big deal." But if you get caught in that, then everybody in your like chain of command up. It's labeling you subconsciously as a, as a person with integrity issues and it becomes a problem. There's trust issues there where they say, how can we put this person in a, in, a, in a role of more responsibility if they've got these integrity issues? So yeah, just don't put yourself in a compromise. Integrity is one of the things that you can't get it back once you lose it. You know, Once you lose that perception with somebody that you've got integrity issues, it really creates problems. So just just don't put yourself in that situation. You want to be looked at as somebody that's just fair and honest. And that's this positive associations. You remember when I talked to you guys about a brand association? I would say a brand. You guys give me a word. You associate with that. Every day is an interview with every one of us. So when we go out, and if I came into class today and I was just wearing just a total bobo clothes, looking rough, hadn't shaved in three weeks, you guys were like, what's going on with Bradshaw? Something's different. You know, this guy... He's losing his mind. He's a little crazy. What's going on? And then my boss would look at me and say, "Something's not quite right. You know, where's the professionalism? Something's, you know, it's not working out." And all the good things I've done for the past several years would go in the trash can because of the way I'm presenting myself right now. So every day's an interview. And I told I was t- telling this to my daughter last night because she can have attitude problems sometimes. And I'm like, "Look, every day's an interview. I mean, you know, you, your attitude." determines how people perceive you. You need to think about that. And so human resources has just so many different facets to it and we're gonna go through and talk about some of those facets right now as you jump into chapter eight. So um, right here you can see these um, topic bubbles, planning, recruitment, training and development, performance evaluations, compensations. So what do all businesses have in common regardless of product or service? Employees, yay. Even though the vast majority of businesses are single employee owners. Um, HRM or human resource management is the process of hiring, developing, motivating, and evaluating employees to achieve organizational goals. HR decision support systems intend to make employees a key element for gaining a competitive advantage. In short, HR involves encourage um, infor- involves encouragement or encouraging development of high performance employees follows a sequence, can't train and pay employees before they are placed in jobs which follow recruitment. And so, most companies that have employees have to train that employee to do something. It's very rare to get an employee and you can throw them right in and let them go. I mean, when I got here, I got here, I was hired a week before the semester started and this is my first full-time teaching engagement. Even though I had taught before, um, I I hadn't used any of the software hardly. Like, we had, Several, we we were using at the time, Moodle, um, Aplia, Cengage Now, and there was one more. Oh man, Uh, I can't remember what it was, but there was four different education softwares we were using at the time. And my second year, the chair said, we're doing away with that, we're going to one model, and we were just using Cengage at that time. But yeah, uh, the point being is that there's a certain learning curve that employees have to have before they can get started. I know at Walmart, uh, people were usually trained anywhere from two to four weeks before they get really like let go and are able to be uh, autonomous. They have to learn, you know, how things operate. And so HR planning is determining employees' needs, employee needs of the firm, uh, the jobs to be filled, having the right people, training and jobs. Activities include job analysis, job description, job specifications, demand forecasting, internal supply forecast, and succession planning and contingent workers. I'll say that all this type of stuff is applicable under the best of circumstances. A lot of organizations don't operate this way. Um, you should be able to forecast and say, okay, in six months, it's gonna be this season, and we're gonna need X, X number of more employees, or in you know, nine months, it's, that season's gonna be over, we're gonna have to trim employees So from an HR management perspective or people management, you need to be able to forecast and figure that type of stuff out. The problem is is that it's hard to get the right amount of people, the right kind of people doing the right kind of work in place at the right time. That's the struggle because people account for a big cost of an organization. And even though in your mind it's HR, you might think, well, Our business needs 80 people to run efficiently. During the holidays, we might need 120. But after the holidays, we need to go back to 80. You've got to not only get the management team on board to helping to hire that extra 40 people, but you've got to communicate to them and make them understand how all this is supposed to work in sequence with the other operations. And granted, management wants to have people to help make the thing go, but management's also focused on finances, and HR doesn't really have a lot to think about when it comes to that. Their management's focus is I want the least least amount of effort work or workers to produ- promote or produce the maximum effort. And so an HR person might say we need that 120, but a manager might think, well, can we get by with 90? <laughs> if I give you 10 more people, can we make that work? We're like, Well, we're about to have a 3 or 4x increase in our demand, so do you think 10 more people is going to be able to handle that? And so... Yeah, and so you actually, if you look at it from a analytical standpoint, there is this number where, yes, you can hire too many. Like if it requires, if 120 is the real number and you hire 150, 160, yes, you're paying too much payroll and you're wasting money. But if you only hire the 90, you're actually missing opportunities there because there were additional sales that you could have made if you could have capitalized on it, if you had the people in place that could handle the demand anybody watch mandalorian on uh, disney plus star trek you fan or star wars you a fan of that yeah. uh, season two is about to come out right season one was excellent yeah i loved it so what happened season one comes out and everybody's screaming for baby yoda right they want baby yoda i love baby yoda right what happened though they didn't plan correctly and so what happened was there was all this demand for anything and everything baby yoda but disney didn't prep, prep for that they didn't have any toys ready to go they didn't have any plush ready to go. And it was a huge missed opportunity. There was an economist that was looking at it and said, Disney missed out on tens of millions of dollars of of merchandise sales they could have had. If they had shown Baby Yoda that first night and had toys ready to go like that next week, yeah, they would have lit it on fire. And so now, you've got... What's that? Now they're trying to play catch-up. Now they have all these toys <clears throat> and nobody's them. Right. Yeah, so... You've got to be able to understand how HR, planning, and all this goes into relationship of the business. It's interconnected. Training and development, orientation. What's essential that employees need to know? We have a, at least when I was hired, a one-day orientation here where they pretty much cover the broad strokes of what you need to know in order to work at Wayne Community. But after that, we go to OJT, on-the-job training and you jump right in and kind of learn your job from uh mirroring the work of mirroring the work of others so you go through a job rotation or apprenticeship or a mentoring process i went through a mentoring process where i had a chair and a dean that kind of looked over my shoulder and offered me and also uh, colleagues the teachers that were in the department offered me feedback on what i needed to focus on and even with those mentors that helped me tremendously, I still had a lot more to learn that I didn't get. Just you have to kind of jump in and figure things out for yourself sometimes. And so it was still just, I don't think one person can teach you everything you need to know for a job. Some of it you've got to just uh, find out as you go through that process. And so um, off the job training, like program instructions and simulations, The military does this, Walmart does this, big organizations does it. There's these things called CBTs or CBLs, computer-based learning modules. It's where you sit down, you watch a presentation, you take a quiz, and by watching a presentation that's duplicatable to tens of thousands and millions of people, uh, the organization can say, we have a a standardized process that we educate people with, and after they see this process, they go to take a quiz to acknowledge that they learned something from observing this. I'm going through a CBL right now on uh, classroom online classroom management and basically they'll show us you know some videos there'll be some discussion and then we'll actually implement something uh, from that takeaway so compensation is another big thing uh, including pay and benefits tied closely to performance appraisals factors affecting employees pay pay structure and internal influences, wages, salaries, benefits based on skills, experience, job level, pay level and external influences. Firm must be concerned with salaries paid by competitors because if not, people will leave over a quarter an hour. If somebody can make a quarter more an hour over here, people will leave you for that. And what happens when people leave, you think, well, it's not that big a deal, I'll just hire somebody else. It's a big deal because you have to start all over on that training process. When I started at Walmart, it was an eight-week... No, 16-week training program. They've cut cut it down to eight weeks now. But 16 weeks, four months, I'm basically in a room and on the floor of the store um, partnered with other people and learning how the operation works. So they're investing in a salary for me for four months before I actually give productive uh, output to the company. That's a huge investment. I mean, like probably 10,000 plus dollars when you look at salary and benefit over that time frame, And so that's for each one of the management team that just went through that one program, there were eight of us. So you're talking about probably 80 to $100,000 investment the company made on us to go through this training program to learn how to operate a super center. And there's so much that goes into it. I mean, I didn't feel like I really hit my stride until probably year two or three because there's so many different facets of operating a super center. Each, Each area has its own, uh, I guess, nuance. If you're running a food area, it's a lot different than running a hardware or toys or things things like that. If you're running toys, uh, this time of year is really fun, let me tell you. (laughs) Pre-Christmas, you get so much inventory, you can't even handle it. Um, And pay is one of those things that companies, the larger they are, the more standardized they want to make it because it becomes fair across the board. When you work for the state, depending on the job that you go into, they have a pay scale that they kind of fill out a form that kind of determines what your pay will be based on uh, experience, based on expertise and credentials that you might have, degrees, and that output will pretty much give you your start rate. There is a little bit of negotiation there, but not much. Um, Same thing with large organizations like Walmart or Target. Once you go in there, they have a standard pay rate that they could give you some experience points. Like if you worked in retail for 20 years, they can give you experience points for that to boost your initial pay. But outside of that, there's not a lot they'll do. And they're trying to keep it fair and consistent. So um, so compensation compensation types, direct wage or salary received by employee, yeah, you go, you do, you trade hours for dollars, hours for dollars. Indirect for various employee benefits and services. Some of these can vary wildly. Uh, For the most part, people think benefits and time off, uh, medical, dental, things like that. There's a company in Raleigh, or the Triangle, called SAS, S-A-S-S, Software Manufacturing or Engineering Company. Um, One of my good friend's sister works there. Not only do people are very well compensated, but they have things like uh, on-campus theater, on-campus gym, on-campus childcare, all these are paid benefits that you get just for being an employee there and so yeah you want to do things i mean you want to like understand that benefits are a big part of the equation when you go to get a job because like if i wanted to retire early let's say i, I get rich over the next 15 years you know i can't retire at 55 because if i did i'd have to pay for my own insurance my, my whole family's insurance and uh, when I look at my pay stub and I look at how much I pay for insurance on a monthly basis versus what Wayne pays, Wayne pays like sixty or eighty percent of, of my family's insurance. I would have to pay a hundred percent of that, and I wouldn't be able to buy it from a pooled uh, resource like the state system. So I'd have to go externally. It would probably cost my family probably fifteen hundred dollars a month to buy insurance as a in, as a family without any assistance from a employer. So yeah, you have to think about that. It's like, oh my God, fifteen hundred a month. You know, I should just keep my job and pay this smaller rate than I'm paying. You know, so incentive pay, commission, bonuses, and profit sharing. Um, those are always nice if your company offers something like that, where you can get a base pay and some type of bonus. Um, I tell you, a good industry. At least it seems like for this type of stuff is the cell phone industry. Has anybody ever worked in cell phones or know somebody that does? Uh, yeah, do they seem to do well with that? Yeah, I had a friend that worked for US Cellular, and he he seemed to be making like he would make somewhere between fifty and sixty thousand a year as a base salary plus another ten to twenty five thousand in bonuses. He would get some crazy bonuses and I was just looking at it's like, oh my God, and why am I teaching? You know, like I should go <laughs> I should go work in the cell phone industry, you know. But the reason why I'm here is because I love doing this and like I just the downside of that job or the flip side is those guys work six days a week, ten hours a day, twelve hours a day, and I'm like, okay, that's not that's not for me. So so benefits, uh, other benefits, pension, health insurance, vacation time, retirement, uh, required unemployment compensation, social security and workers' comp. So those are those are when you look at your whole benefits package, it's not just that salary number that you're getting paid. There's all these other perks and benefits. Hopefully not gonna die. But uh, if I were to die, the state would give my family a one-year salary. I do have some life insurance, so they wouldn't be completely busted right out of the gate. But hope, hoping not to die. My birthday is this week, though. I turned forty-one, so one year closer to death, you know. So, <laughs> but hoping not to die, you know. So, I guess I got Halloween on the brain, y'all. You know, these, you know, these grim visions. Uh. All right. So, performing and planning uh, evaluation. As employees perform, supervisors evaluates. My advice on evaluations are, you shouldn't wait until it's time to evaluate somebody to give them feedback. Um, feedback should be continual and constant. Uh, if you're waiting till a mid-year or a, or a year-end evaluation to give somebody constructive feedback, you are cheating them out of the opportunity to learn from you, what you how to make them better. You're cheating yourself out of improving your employee, to how they can better perform for you. So, like, if I see an employee just just not doing good work, do I say, do I just talk to myself and my buddies and say, this person sucks over here, there's no hope for them, you know? Or do I say, I see you uh, over here doing this. How can we make this better? What, how can we make this process better? If you show an interest in that person, you'd be surprised how often they will perk right up and show an interest in you and be more interested in the work, and want to do quality work. There's something about pride of quality work. I don't know what it is like. I used to install hardwood floor. This was kind of a in-between job. I did it for about six months. And uh, basically what I would do is pick up these 80 to 100 pound bundles of oak wood and different types of wood. I would carry it to a a house. We were installing them in these basically uh, contractor-built houses. So we go in there, there's no air conditioner. These are houses that are unfinished. It's really, really hot. We'd have set up fans. We'd have these big hammers and big uh, nail guns to install this floor. And I was just, you know, for the first several months of doing this, I was thinking, man, you know, this is a lot of hard work. It's just tough, and I'm only making, you know, very, very meager wages. But when the floor was done, and you stepped back and looked at it, and you realized that you just installed this awesome-looking oak hardwood floor it gave you a pride of, of workmanship. And so if you can do something with your employees to help them feel pride in their company, they'll, they'll continue to do it. They'll realize that, hey, my efforts uh, equate to something that's actual uh, amazing, something that's actually awesome. So so performance appraisals, comparison of actual performance with expected performance to determine an employee contribution to the organization. Um, a lot of performance appraisals I've seen in the past have kind of three categories. They'll have a topic, whatever it may be, like attendance. Let's just say that's one of the items. So you can say uh, needs improvement, meets or exceeds expectations. It's kind of three tiers that you could fall into. And the manager will go through and kind of put these little check marks wherever they think is appropriate. And then there'll be a box under each category where they can comment. And I'll say that in my opinion, Ninety percent of evaluations are pencil whipped; they don't matter. Agree or disagree? What do you think? Do you think most of them are just fluff that they just write something to sound good and just go with it?
1: I think it's kind of a middle ground where it's like some of it, you know, some of the evaluations kind of exaggerate just to sound good, um, but I think within everything there's a little, you know, bit of truth. Yeah. I think there's
2: something to be learned from any type of evaluation Uh, honestly I think there any kind of like formal evaluation like that I honestly
0: feel like there's a little
2: bit of office politics involved there is yeah and honestly that that shouldn't it shouldn't
0: happen yeah we can't remove yeah we can't remove our biases you know and so you know like if you objectively studied it, I believe that you would find that well, if there was a way to study this, I don't know if there is a way I have to think about it, but if you say, like, okay, sir, I want you to mark, like, these. I want you to give me some feedback on these individuals, and then six months later, you went back and say, okay, I want you to evaluate these individuals, what you would find is the people that were more favorable, favorably perceived by that individual got higher marks on their evaluation Regardless of performance, than people that were less favorably viewed. So, I, this is a hypothesis. I haven't tested this. I don't even know if it is a testable thing. It probably is. But, my point being is that there's a lot of politics and popularity that go into evaluations. And uh, I just think that if somebody is buddy-buddy with a manager, that individual is going to get higher marks than somebody who does equal good work, uh, but maybe not be buddy-buddy. So if performance is the same, everything's the same, one of them has a friendship, or, or is some has some type of bias weight on that manager, I think there's some, some room there for manipulation, or, uh, but I don't know, am I crazy? Tell me, you know, no, what do you think? There, there is some manipulation in and the downside is, is that the
2: uh, people that they perceive be more favorable. Right. If, if you notice, because I did notice it throughout my time working, the people that were buddy-buddy with the managers, right. you know, unless they held management positions, which is different. But if it's, before I'll talk about one manager, all these people, they all need everything else, and you have this person over here who's buddy-buddy. You're If you look at it, this person's work is not necessarily going to be as good as these other people's work. Right. Because them being buddy-buddy, they tend to slack off more because sometimes they just don't get in trouble like the other people
0: do. Yeah. So they don't necessarily work as hard. They tend to take the easy way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just uh, I have kind of a I, – I don't think I've ever received a bad evaluation, but I just feel like m- most of them feel disingenuous to me. Now – I've had decent evaluations here. It's not a reflection of evaluations here, but I just feel like they're an afterthought, afterthought for a lot of organizations. But here's, I said 90%. Here's where the 10% they come to matter. When you actually need to use them for a HR function like terminations, you can say, well, your evaluation was bad last year. You didn't have a good one. You had some critical things. We don't see that you've made substantial improvement or significant improvement, so we're going to have to let you go. That is a good use case, I think, for an evaluation. But, I don't know, another way to look at it is, uh, as a teacher, we give feedback, and it seems like we give more feedback to students that perform poorly than to students who perform at an excellence level. And so, I'd say 90% of my students perform at a pretty good level, you know, see or better. But it's the ones that don't perform well that we give a lot of feedback to. And so, in that same, like, line of thinking is in evaluations we said okay you do you do a good job thanks for being here (laughs) take a cookie on the way out and then the people that have the problems are our problem children so to speak we spend time on them giving them feedback saying okay here's where you're not doing well so maybe I'm wrong on this this is just my kind of my and I have to take into account that these are my biases speaking from experiences I've had so maybe that I'm I'm way off base on this. I've just had a mixed, kind of a mixed bag with, when it comes to evaluations. So, something to think about. When you guys wake up at two o'clock in the morning, you'll think, God, what was saying about evaluations? It's going to drive me nuts. I don't know what the answer is. So, be, buddy buddy with the be buddy buddy with the manager is the answer, or be the manager. That's the answer. Yeah. So, uh, make decisions about training, compensation, promotion, and other job changes. So, uh, all those kind of do factor in if we're seeing. Um, as an example, I went to a call center one time, AT&T, when they were over in Marmac. I walked in, there's probably about two to 300 people sitting in cubicles scattered over this big warehouse-looking area, all making phone calls, dealing with customer service issues, and everything they do is counted. How many minutes they stay on the phone with the customer, customer surveys after they get off, all that kind of stuff. And if you were seeing opportunities in customer service or things not going well, you can, you can give feedback through evaluations, or you can use that data to create new training opportunities. And so HR has to really tap into that. And so sources of job applicants, when they're trying to recruit, uh, they have to look at internal and external labor. So um, let's talk about internal, external, and selection. So internal labor facilitated by HR information systems that contains employee database with information about employees. They look at previous work experience, skills, education, certifications, job and career preferences, performance, attendance, most common results in uh, promotion and job transfers. A lot of companies, depending on their size, have internal job postings. And I don't know, it seems like, I think you do have a favorable advantage if you work there already. You've probably heard that expression, get your foot in the door, right? So once you get in, it's easier to move around Getting in is the hard part. And so I would strategically take a lesser job than what you ultimately want to get your foot in the door with the goal of advancing. Um, It is a weird uh, fact, though. I've never personally been promoted. Like, I've had different jobs, but I've only stayed at the past three jobs five years. And so not stayed long enough to really go up like a promotional thing but I've been happy with those with most of those jobs but ultimately look for better opportunities and which brings me to here so um, looking at external consists of all prospects to fill positions that can't be filled from within the organizations recruitment is the process of attracting qualified people to form an applicant pool organizations do like to recruit from within though and I'll say this is because it builds morale. If somebody says, hey, I got a job here as, you know, a cashier, now I'm the store manager, that kind of gives morale and hope to other people. It's like, oh, if I work hard, maybe this will happen to me. So, And I've seen people get promoted over the years. Um, I, one of my associates when I worked at Walmart is now a store manager. He was a frozen stalker, and now he's uh, a store store manager doing very well. Um, and the store, my last store manager I had, she – Started as a cashier, and she got promoted all the way to store manager. So there is a lot of politics, and there's a lot of favoritism that happens, though. you got to know somebody. And I maybe, maybe I'm wrong with that, but that's the way it appears to me. So external recruiting methods, online recruitments, traditional advertising, print, radio, television, job fairs, college recruiting. What kind of tools do you guys use for online recruitment? Does anybody use, like, Indeed or Monster or... What what else do we use? There's one called...
1: Glassdoors. Who? Glassdoors.
0: Glassdoors, yeah.
1: There's Snaggajor.
0: Snaggajor. There's one called talent.com. Mm. Yeah, so what about LinkedIn? Do you guys use that?
1: That's kind of more for, like, professional kind of
0: company. Yeah.
1: Like I, I'd say more, like, business stuff would use LinkedIn, but I'd say most other jobs I've come across usually use, like, Indeed or their own.
0: I feel like I need to, like, erase everything on my LinkedIn and just start over. I want to erase everything and just post my resume up there. I think that'll be the way to do it. So, because I don't like their interface. I don't know. Just, it's too much to ma- maintain. It's just, ugh. I hadn't updated in a while. So, I never go up there. So, what's up? What exactly, seeing how this is more of an
2: external issue, um, what exactly is headhunting when
0: Now, in certain industries, headhunting is more valuable than others. So if I work in an industry that's highly competitive and has a limited amount of competitors, you could go poach talent from another company that has knowledge of how that company works, how they have uh, grown or thrived within that industry. And some companies make you sign non-compete clauses, so you won't compete with a competitor, or you won't be uh, hired by a competitor within a certain time frame. Um, and so, like, some of these big firms have understandings that uh, they're not going to go do that. They're not going to actively headhunt and poach talent. And, you know, like, I laugh, I scoff at this, like that word talent, you know, but it's, it's a real thing, you know, and it um, some people have value that they add. I mean, typically in my experience, like, most of the jobs that I see locally, you don't think, oh, talent, you know, like I bring in so much talent and value myself, you know, but people do. People can bring talent and value to an organization. When you hire somebody and they take a company from $1 million a year of revenue to $20 million a year revenue, that's talent, you know, to be able to do that, to be able to manage that and make that process happen. Um, and in my experience, I've had people talk down on, people that study business and management. But let me tell you, everything's a business. Every business needs needs management skills. And you cannot make a business work without some business acumen and understanding of how it works. And so studying this type of stuff is extremely valuable, not only in uh, your professional lives, but in your personal lives. So those online recruiting tools we were talking about, um, Monster.com, Indeed, Start, Wire, I don't think I've heard of that, Glassdoor mentions. Links on hiring company websites, career pages, social media. Recruitment branding involves presenting an accurate and positive image of the firm to those being recruited. This is actually funny. Um, I keep using Walmart as an example because it's a it's, it's the best but bad example. Is like when you looked at Walmart's recruiting stuff, or if you look at Walmart's commercials, it seems like, yay, you know, we're going to Walmart, you know. But when you work there, it's like. You know, it's a whole different ball game, and so the image that they share versus the reality—it's kind of like seeing those pictures of a really good McDonald's burger, right? You see the commercial, and it looks like amazing, right? But then you get there, and it's like, what happened? You know, the 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 perception versus the reality—there's there's a difference there, and so companies, though, they do strive to put out this positive brand image. They want people to have a good association. So there is elements of marketing when it comes to HR as well. So employee selection, the process of determining which people in the applicant pool possess the qualifications necessary to be successful on the job. Selective hurdle approach, uh, applicant can be rejected at any step or hurdle. Basically, the way the, the process works is this, they have kind of like a tiered system So everybody lands in the first bucket when you apply. So open a job, 100 people land in that job application bucket. And then HR's job, either they do it through a uh, software-based system or they do it manually uh, by going through the resumes and applications. They filter this down by like 80% down to like 20. So it goes from 100 to 20. And then they do a review of those 20 applications and resumes. And then they say... Of that 20, let's get it down to 10 potential qualified applicants. And then they may do a phone interview on those 10 people. That's still a lot. But they may call them and do a quick 15, 20-minute screener interview. And then they'll get that down to a top five candidates. They'll bring those in. that They'll actually go through a formal interview, maybe with two or three people in the room asking them questions. And they'll probably keep it at 30 minutes. That's still two and a half. Think about all the time invested in this. Then they get that down to a top two, and then they make it down to a number one. So there's several steps we go through to get down to that number one candidate. And so they go through that initial screening, employee testing, selection interview, background reference checks, physical examination, and then decision to hire. And so it is kind of an arduous process to get hired. It feels like when I was in management and I was having to rely on People getting hired to help fill kind of holes in my coverage. If it, it takes, it feel like I know it takes over a month, uh, and it's just such a, a painful, long process. I get why it is a painful and long process, but man, if you're relying on people, uh, that just it just takes forever. And so I'm going to talk about labor relations in in brief, and then we'll uh, get close to wrapping up here for today, and I'll wrap that up on Thursday, wrap the chapter up. But labor relations, we have um, labor unions. What's your opinion of labor unions? Do you have one? What have you heard? What's I mean, up? Historically
1: speaking, I think they're great. You know, allows a, a group of people that independently would have much power to have right. a great amount of power to say over, you know, their job. Okay. Uh, but personally, I've never. I mean, believed, you know, I'm only 18. I've only worked two jobs so I wouldn't have that much. Uh,
0: sure. I didn't have an opinion at 18, so that's yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't have much experience
1: with the I've never, nobody with my family, is, I don't think I've ever worked with a union in the right. past 20 years.
0: So unions, just like everything in life, has some pros and cons, you know. So capitalists hate unions because it creates a barrier that they have to work around. But the union, generally speaking, if, if everything was ideal, tries to secure more pay and more benefits for employees and more protections. Uh, the cost of that, though, is you do have to pay union dues, that's a cost, but ideally your cost would be offset by the gains you get from being a, a union member. From a capitalist perspective, uh, if I'm running the business, if I own the business, unions uh, hinder me from making decisions that I might need to do in the best interest of the company. Sometimes you have to lay people off, you know. and. The union might have a, a regulation in place or a stipulation to say, if you lay off this many people, it we we'll strike? Shut you down, you know? And so sometimes, I mean, like, you, another detriment is sometimes you can't fire bad people. If you get somebody in there that's a union-protected individual and they're, they're a problem, sometimes you can't get rid of them, you know? And that's, that's, that's a problem. And so uh, I have mixed feelings on this. I think if the union functioned appropriately and ideally, it's a good thing. But often that's not the case. There's corruption in unions, too. I think uh, in a free market, we shouldn't have to need unions, ideally. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well.